Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller here with Miss Wendy Batts, my fellow regional master instructor. This week, we're here to talk about the posterior oblique subsystem. So, Wendy, how are you doing today? And I know you're excited for this topic for sure. Yes, I am doing great, Marty. And uh, welcome back. Uh, if those of you guys that don't know, Marty's our world traveler lately. So he just got back from Italy to make sure that he was able to make this. Just for webinar. this. Just for I'm this. Sorry? Just, I just came back just for this. That's exactly right. So thanks for being here. But yes, today, again, talking about the posterior oblique subsystem. And we came up with this topic from you guys. Uh, Marty and I have done kind of a webinar that talked about everything. So all four of the subsystems together. And then we had a few people reach out and ask if we could kind of break them up individually so we could go into more detail about all of them. So um, I'm excited to talk about this one because in my personal opinion, and from what I've seen in my background, um, I think that the POS or the posterior oblique system is usually the, the weakest one and the one that can lead to a lot of issues, especially when we hear the low back pain comments or I just feel like I'm locked up. Um, it's usually because of weakness in this particular one. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about them collectively in one of our sessions. As you said, when we had great feedbacks, we broke them down. But when we talk about them, you know, they definitely are integral in working together. And you're going to be transitioning from one subsystem to another, depending on your activities, whether, you know, whether you're running and jumping and changing direction. But really, it's good to understand them by themselves because you might see someone really struggle in a movement patterning or you may view it as, well, these are the four or five exercises they're not great at. Well, they're still movement patterns. But when you break them down by subsystem, you might be like, oh, my goodness, all of those are this subsystem. It could be the lateral subsystem. It could be the posterior oblique subsystem. And then that way, it really helps you understand what the musculature is that is responsible for that subsystem. And then, again, from there, you can design a better program when you know how all of these structures work together. Yeah, I think it's important too, as we go through and if, when we go to the next slide, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. So, you know, basically the key points. Um, but when we, when we really look at the posterior oblique subsystem, I think it's important to know why we actually train what, you know, in a contralateral way and why, you know, oftentimes when you have these individuals that play sports or they do repetitive movements, why this can really become very weak because we're very one side dominant. And, um, and as we go through it, keep that in mind today, because hopefully it will help click that, you know, we move in a contralateral way, we walk that way, we do activities that way. And when I say that, think about I'm left-handed. So if I throw something on the ground and I go to pick it up, I'm stepping on my right leg in order to bend over and pick something up with my left hand. And so, you know, it's very important when we, like you said, when we kind of combine everything together, think about the patterns that we do. And then when you're designing programs, you know, look at all of the subsystems together. But then when you're thinking about, like you said, movement patterns over just exercises, if you can mimic some of those movement patterns that you do daily, you're going to have more success in everything that you're doing. Absolutely. And simple things like even when I do a staggered stance exercise, I'll find that I always want to put my left leg forward. So I'll purposely, if I'm doing three sets, I would purposely stand on my right leg forward on two of the sets. Because, you know, I, I don't want to always do what I feel the most comfortable in. Absolutely. Me too, Marty. <laughs> and so when we look at this slide, um, again, we're just going to talk about the, um, the, the POS. We're going to talk about, you know, the movement patterns itself. And when we're really looking up at the muscles that make up 
this particular subsystems, we're going to think about the lats. And you guys remember when we look at the lats, the lats, you know, kind of come out of the the um, the fascial part of your lower back. So think you've got your sacrum, and then you've got this um, this fascial tissue that comes up and blends into your lats that then go underneath pretty much your armpit and then attach in the front of your arm. So it plays a significant role and a lot of things that are going on. And then of course you've got, you know, your um, SI joint. And then we always talk about the big house, one of the most important muscles in your body to really propel us forward, to produce power in your hips and everything, which is the glute max. And if you look at the solutions table, I think it's really, really important to notice how many times if there's a compensation that one of the key muscles that is weak, that's allowing those compensations to occur is your glutes, especially your glute max. And so, you know, we've talked about, you know, all the different muscles, but to me, this is where I really focus a lot because if your sacrum is locked down because of the, um, you know, the glutes not working the right way, your erectors have to take over because remember your erectors are a, um, a synergist, your hamstrings are a synergist. And so we need to change all of that. We need the prime mover to work, which would be the glutes, in order to minimize the extra activity that those other synergists are playing. Um, so that way they can do what their role is and the glutes can do what it's supposed to do. Absolutely. And for those of you just joining us, Wendy Batts and I are talking about the posterior oblique subsystem and the importance it has in human movement. And Wendy, you know, it was interesting, you know, just this past weekend, I, when I was over in Italy, I was working with an amazing uh, sprint coach and we were talking about running biomechanics. And a lot of people who don't really understand running biomechanics, especially sprinting to that level, everyone thinks it's a very sagittal plane dominant activity. But if you looked at, from a sprinter above, like it, with a drone, they are actually rotating in the transverse plane much more than you would think, but it's because of the posterior oblique subsystem. So when I put my lat on stretch and then come back on the opposite glute, I can create more torque. So when you're looking at somebody from straight ahead, it looks very sagittal plane. But if you look at them from above, they have to rotate. Now it's under control and it's not swaying side to side. But if you really watch their shoulder turn, they're creating torque and tension because that's lengthening that posterior oblique subsystem, which means they can then fire it back in the opposite direction. So it's very unique to look at it from that point of view, but that's really what the body's doing is really targeting this subsystem again every subsystem's working but this is hugely important in propelling ourselves at high speed you know as we move forward mm -hmm. and as you said you know with the rotation we're looking contralaterally mm -hmm. so we're looking you know right glute left left lat and then vice versa and so you've got to think too when people complain of low back pain which we hear so often and again we've looked at the you know, the statistics they are in your book, you see them everywhere, about 80 to 85% of the population at one point of their life, either are currently experienced low back pain or will. And so a lot of it is because if you've got, you know, your sacrum should actually move around. And if it's not, and it's locked down because muscles are adhesed, they're not firing the right way. Other, like the other muscles are doing work that they shouldn't be doing. You've got tight hip flexors, then, you know, what's going to happen is it's going to not allow, as I bend forward, your sacrum should move. If it's locked down, then it can actually readjust your hips. So like you said, when you're actually running and sprinting and doing the things where, you know, it's supposed to be stretching and then firing and stretching and firing, and it's not doing that, then that's where it's going to really start to wreak havoc on your lower back because you don't have the freedom of movement that you're supposed to have in that one particular area. Right. And what we know, Wendy, both what you and I do, what research will show us 
is the biggest indication of injury is previous injury. Yes. Just don't have injuries. We got to fix that stuff up. <laughs> and thanks for joining us today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Don't mic drop. We're done. Don't get hurt. That's right. So when we're looking at the primary function of this, we're going to think that it works synergistically with the deep longitudinal subsystem. And if you guys didn't get a chance to view Marty and I's um, webinar that we've done a few weeks ago on the DLS, I think that one would be a really good one to watch again because they do work hand in hand. And again, they all work together. So when you're looking at it, you know, we're, we're breaking it apart. But as Marty has said, and as I said, all four of them do work together. But when we're looking specifically at the POS and we're thinking about the DLS, then you're going to think that both glute max and the lats have attachments to the, thor the thoracolumbar fascia, which then connects to that sacrum. And so remember, when we talk about the sacrum, it's the, you know, you've got your vertebrae and then your sacrum lives right there. And so because of that, that's, that's what can lock down your sacrum and then you can't move. And so when I was saying, you know, it can't move, that's why it's important to make sure that everything is functioning accordingly. And so if we go back and we look at the rest of, of um, kind of like the way that this all works when the primary function, then we've also got to look at when you're working again, contralaterally, so opposite arm, opposite leg. All right. So when we talk about contralateral, that's what we mean. Ipsilateral would be same side. But if you were looking at it, that the you know opposite arm and glute basically, or lat and glute, are going to stabilize the force that's uh, transmitted across that SI joint. And so when you're thinking right before heel strike, the lats and the contralateral glute are going to eccentrically load, which is going to add the pretension to the entire subsystem before you're doing weight bearing on your your gait. So. Again, when you're thinking about the DLS, the deep longitudinal subsystem, and we're looking at the POS, those do work together in your gait. It's a very big one when your gait, your walking pattern. So, you know, when we talk about the importance of this, if you're walking, those two primary um, subsystems are going to be crucial to make sure that everything's firing appropriately in order for you to walk correctly. And then at running, you're at least four times your body weight at heel strike. So imagine you don't have proper biomechanics and these subsystems working properly because, you know, it says right there that there's that force closure or stabilization mm -hmm. of, you know, that sacrum. So if you don't want a lot of force that's uh, not needed delivered through your sacrum, you know, that's where it's important to have these subsystems operating uh, ideally, or let's say very close to ideally, because that's why people who run, yes, you burn calories and yes, you enjoy the runner's high. But maybe at what cost biomechanically, you know, if you're not moving efficiently and using these subsystems uh, to their ideal potential. Yeah. And I mean, and just as just as a kind of reminder, when we're looking at the spine in general, you want to think you, your, your cervical spine should be stable. Your thoracic spine should be mobile and your lumbar spine should be stable. So again, if you've got too much motion going on or, you know, you don't have the stability in your lumbopelvic hip complex to stabilize that area correctly, then obviously there's going to be issues, pain, you know, discomfort, you're going to feel that. And so think about too, with the lats going up through the, the mid back and then through kind of under the armpit into the front, that can also kind of lock down your thoracic spine, which should be mobile. And so, you know, you want to just kind of keep all of it in mind of like, hey, what should be stable? What should be mobile? What should, you know, how do we keep our hips in a neutral position? And so when we talk about the five kinetic chain checkpoints and we're trying to look at the ASIS bones to make sure everything's nice and level, 
Oftentimes, if someone's complaining about low back pain or they're not producing enough force, if you put your fingers on, on your ASIS bones in the front of your hips, so your hip bones, and you see one maybe tilted higher or lower than the other, then think about it like a sponge. You want your sponge to be neutral, right? If you start to wring out the sponge, one side goes lower, one side goes up. Well, that's think about your, your back being that middle part of a sponge. And that's why that doesn't feel good if that was your body and not a sponge, right? But that's kind of the visual that I use. So those of you guys that are just joining, Marty and I were talking about the posterior oblique system today on the Master Instructor Roundtable. And so, so far we've talked about basically the prime movers that make up the POS. We've talked about it working synergistically with the deep longitudinal subsystem. We just talked about the primary function of the, the POS in general. And Marty, why don't you take us on to the next one? Absolutely. So we'll move forward here. So it's primary function. So we talked about running just a second ago. So at heel strike, if we want ideal force absorption, right? Everyone can run um, or most people can run. There's ideal or close to ideal running biomechanics. And then there's not so ideal running biomechanics. So every muscle will accelerate its respective limb through its concentric or when that's when the muscle shortens and then creates tension across that thoracolumbar fascia. So think of it like stabilizing, not limiting the motion, but stabilizing that low back. As we, as Wendy just said, lumbar spine is supposed to be stable, not mobile. So the tension then will assist the SI joint. And, you know, most people who have that kind of nagging low back pain, they point to one side of their body and put their thumb back there. They're probably going to lead you right to their SI joint. So sometimes you need manual therapy and that's uh, Wendy does a great job with that. Make sure you find someone who can do manual therapy that is needed sometimes, but do your foam rolling, do your stretching, corrective exercise. And a lot of times you can free that up. So this way, when they walk or run the, the, posterior oblique subsystem will then transfer the force from the ground and go through the transverse plane orientation into the sagittal plane. So we already talked about that ipsilateral will be the same. And then obviously this one, we're talking about the opposite sides of the body. So if I'm landing on my right leg, my left lat is going to be working with that right glute. And as I mentioned earlier, there's some transverse plane motion, even when I'm walking or running in the sagittal plane, because again, I need that rotation to put stress on the muscles properly to then use the posterior oblique subsystem to its maximal potential. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes too, you know, what I find interesting just in my training background and Marty, I'm sure you do this as well. I always watch people walk. I, walk, I watch them walk into me or walk to me. Um, I may have them like turn around and just walk just so I can see what's happening at their foot and ankle complex, where their knees are just when they're walking. Um, but what I find fascinating often, and I, and again, I'm, I'm crazy because I always think about this when I'm at the grocery store or when I'm watching people just in general, I'm always Airport's looking at Airport's good people. for this too. Do I? Airport's really good for this. Yes. Yes. But you know, I find myself literally looking at people and it's painful because you will see some people when they're walking, it's like they have so much rotation just to walk. And you know, it's got to be painful because the thing is, is you want to try to see that the hips stay, you know, pretty neutral as you're walking. So if you see a client that has a lot of rotation just by walking, then you know that there's probably a lot of dysfunction going on specifically in the POS. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because the airport, you're getting thousands of thousands of people. And as you said, I'm traveling all the time. I'm chuckling because there was a couple of people recently, their lower leg foot was so extremely rotated. I'm like, I got to try to walk like that for three, four, four steps. I'm like, I'm done. I'm good. Like, yeah. you know, I feel bad that they don't know potentially that that is going to be 
significant long-term problems, but like I've even tried just to walk five yards like that. And I'm like, no, I'm good. One yard. I'm okay. Cause it's really the biomechanics of that is so stressful and painful mm-hmm. that you know, we wish we could help everybody, but just having that close to ideal posture makes the body feel so much better. It does. It does. And Marty will be the first to point out to me that my right foot will turn out and I'm Did still I working on it. Point that out. Yeah. Well, my husband did that yesterday. He's like, what is, or no, this morning I dropped my kid off from school and he enjoyed, he joined me and he's like, what is happening right now at your foot? <laughs> I'm like, I apparently need to foam roll by the way. <laughs> exactly. Do some stretches, do some medial what, calf raises. Wouldn't that change. be nice if we were immune to it? Cause we knew all this stuff. It would, it would <laughs> you know, and, and it's hard because, you know, we do understand a lot of it, but we're also living daily lives and we sit in a certain way. We're in front of the computer a lot. You know, we train people, we work on others more sometimes than we work on ourselves, just depending on our daily routine. And so even though, you know, they say those that that can't do teach. Well, I try to do both We do to be doing more application. And I know this. So. Well, I had a 20 hour travel day yesterday. Um, so I didn't get up at three thirty to get, you know, my first session of uh, mobility. in. but I do promise you, I got up multiple times in a plane. And I, I, I find little unique stretches. I did, I found, I know where to go in the planes. I did some like lateral, like adductor stretch and I'm, I'm that guy in the plane. Um, I'm stretching just be, <laughs> because, and today I got up early and made sure I had another 15 minutes to kind of recorrect, you know, connect everything back to where it should be because, you know, life can be stressful mentally life and physically. Stressful. There you go. <laughs> awesome. All right. So if we move on and we, I want to talk again about, you know, some of the primary functions. I mean, think about this, all your rotational ac- or activities that you do. So whether you're swinging a bat, swinging a golf club, you know, actually throwing, you're using opposite arm, opposite leg, right? You're going to step and then turn. And so when you're looking really specifically at the transverse plane, then obviously you can see the importance, the prime, prime importance of the POS and how it plays such a significant role. So if you have any dysfunction whatsoever in the structure in this particular subsystem, it's going to lead to your SI um, joint instability and lump, like low back pain. So if somebody's complaining like my low back hurts, then you know think about how they move. And so again, if you're looking at the overhead squat and they're doing that, and you see maybe the feet go out and the knees go out, and they can safely do a single leg squat. To me, the single leg squat assessment or now even the split squat assessment can tell me even more of what's going on with these particular subsystems, because if you're standing on one foot, you take the base of support away, you're going to notice that sometimes when people squat, they really turn their torso in and rotate. And that just shows weakness in that on that one side. And because we we do that one particular assessment bilaterally, we can see what's happening on one side in comparison to the other. But, you know, when you're when you've got weakening or weakening of the glute max, then the lats or both, you know, so if you're weak in your lats because it's overactive, remember, if you have an overactive muscle, it can still be weak. The glute max is usually weak when there's compensations. We already know that that's going to like increase the tension shockingly to the hamstring complex. So when you're looking at hamstring strains and you're really, really evaluating something Remember, if someone's hips are on an anterior pelvic tilt, so they shift forward, right? So their, their hips are rotated forward, 
their hip flexor complex is overactive, so it's in a shortened position. So someone that's running a lot, someone that's sitting a lot, someone that's walking a lot, those hip flexors can be really act or overactive. And remember, if something's overactive, it doesn't mean it's overly strong. If something's overactive, it's still weak. So if the hips are rotated forward, then the glute max is not working the way that it's intended to work. And it also puts a lengthen, like a stress, like a lengthen position of your hamstring complex. So if I give Marty one side, I give myself another side of a string and we play tug of war and we can pluck it, then it feels like it's tight if I'm feeling my muscle. It's not tight, but it's lengthened and it's taut. The last thing I want to do is actually stretch that. And if I stretch it and then have someone go run, because that's what I thought they needed to do, they have weak glutes, they have like a lengthened hamstring, their hip flexors are overactive. Of course, it's going to lead to strains long term if we're not careful. So that's why I think it's very, very important to think about the assessment and what you're seeing, especially at the hips, because that's going to tell you a lot about what's going on, especially with the glutes. And if you're looking at specific exercises, if you're performing them in isolation, squats for the glute max and pull downs only for the lats, that's not going to really help the POS because you're individualizing muscles. Now, again, if you've got a good length, you know, if your lats are overactive and that's contributing to the anterior tilt, you do good foam rolling, you lengthen that, and then you go to activate it, that's fine, but you're focusing on the lat. If you're doing squats, the prime movers of a squat are your glutes and your quads. So you're doing great exercises for your glutes and your quads, but you want to do things together from the member contralaterally, specifically when we're trying to focus on that, because that's going to help us adequately prepare us for, you know, what we're doing in functional activities, functional movement, specifically in what we just talked about. So one of the exercises that Marty and I love to do um, is doing things instead of doing things individually is doing total body exercises, because again, that's going to transfer into movement patterns. So the, the quadrupeds, so when you're face down on your knees, hands and knees, it's opposite arm, opposite leg reaches. Some people call them bird dogs. Then that, that to me is really a great exercise specifically focusing on this particular subsystem. Yeah, it's important that we do the integration. And, you know, I grew up as a, a child of the late 80s, early 90s, you know, where everybody asked, every guy asked every guy, like, what do you bench? I don't hear that as much anymore. So it's kind of good. But, you know, for a lot of people, they like that isolation work and they like body part by body part. But that's not the way the human body works. Doesn't mean you can't do that at a point in time. But, you know, if you really want to create dysfunction, do nothing sometimes or go in and target individual muscles only and get them to work by themselves. And that's even though you can be strong, even though you can be fit, that doesn't mean you're going to move efficiently. So that's where, you know, you know, I'll speak about me, Wendy's so much younger that I've seen so many iterations of the fitness industry that over and Wendy, you know, this, I was teaching at the first corrective exercise workshop ever. Everyone laughed at us. Right. And now everyone's doing mobility work and correct. It only took 15 years for people to catch up and that's cool. But I do see now in fitness doesn't mean it's always perfect, but I see a shift to yeah. where you see people. Sometimes they try to make it too crazy and too fancy, but you'll see that it's not just about how much do you bench and how much isolation work do you do, that there is a movement for total body integration, but just like anything else, you got to do it with proper form and progressions and regressions to get the most out of it. But the good news is now more and more people 
will do these type of exercises. But I know when Wendy and I were teaching people, you know, bear crawls and bird dogs and, you know, they're like, where's my bicep curl? Where's my, you know, mm -hmm. so it's good that this is uh, happening, but also think about it from a conditioning standpoint, if you can really sequence in maybe with some battling rope, maybe with some shadow boxing, maybe with, you know, get on a bike, you, you can really make these type of exercises still very metabolically challenging. And I really like, can I do these uh, more strategic exercises when I am a little bit fatigued? You know, not exhausted, but, you know, can I really dial in a certain movement pattern at the end of a workout or when I am breathing a little heavy? Because that's what's going to happen if I'm trying to be, you know, do it in real life. So you can use it as an exercise. You can use it in any phase of training as, a, as your targeted warm up. You can even use it as part of your cool down when somebody has been a little bit challenged because you're really seeing can they really dial back in their central nervous system and still have perfect control of a movement pattern or a particular subsystem. And I think it's important too, to think about why we love the model like we do right. is because, you know, again, we're looking and starting off with the muscles that are overactive. We're trying to downregulate using a foam roller. Then we go into statically stretching muscles that are overactive. We do dynamic to work through the full available range of motion and to get our body ready and prepared. And usually a lot of those dynamic exercises do you know, have the contralateral movement patterns throughout them. And then your core, again, activation type exercises. We're really trying to get those 29 muscles that protect the spine to fire the way that it's supposed to and move, um, you know, the way that it's meant to move without, you know, like making sure all of your vertebrae stay lined up. You've got really good glute activation. So we're trying to activate those muscles that are commonly weak. And then again, you know, your, your balance, then we've got your um, your plyometrics where we put it all together. So we're really trying to emphasize those movement patterns to do it correctly. If you want to do the individualized muscles, that's fine, but we would normally do that in the resistance component. And then as Marty says, do some metabolic, something that requires, you know, things that are really going to challenge your body doing, you know, utilizing upper and lower, um, you know, musculature together. And then it's a win-win for everyone. So if you just want to bench, that's fine. You just want to do a lap pull down. That's fine. But then why don't you do a single leg squat to row? You know, that's one of Marty and I's favorite exercises are the squat to rows. You know, I do mine single leg a lot of times when they've advanced to that. And it's really hard. My clients love it. Um, they really feel their glutes and you know that it's going to be a win-win. So anyway, that. just wanted to say that. <laughs> and yeah. those of you guys that are joining Marty Miller and I today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about the posterior oblique system or the POS. And so if you've missed the beginning of it, you want to rewind it because you're going to specifically why we're talking so much about contralateral movements, basically everything on the posterior side of the body and how weak it is and why you want to really focus on activating that particular area. Perfect. And don't forget, of course, you can go back in the archives and watch all the other subsystems. I'm just kind of saying. Hey. I, you know what, why wouldn't you? Of course, over <laughs> and over and over. <laughs> but here's some great exercises that we put together. So, you know, Wendy, you were talking about single leg squats row, but now we have, again, I'm going to pause before I throw back over to Wendy is we did not take these photos. So form and technique is as close as we could find it. So if, you know, if we don't mention it, don't be like, why does that person's head in the wrong position? Yes, we notice it too. We always want a perfect form, but sometimes when we're looking for a specific exercise, but yes, chin and everything in a neutral position. 
but you know, the single leg Romanian deadlift, that could be a single leg Romanian deadlift to row. You've got maybe a, a partial of like a renegade row, or he could just be doing, you know, the higher part of the push up. We've got the bird dog. And then the final individual on the right is in the standing position in triple extension, doing a lat pull down with a band. You can do two arm. You could do the contralateral side. I mean, these are just some, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you know, it's, it's however creative you want to be, as long as they have perfect form, you never sacrifice member your form for a number. You want to think about tempo. So again, when you're looking at the different phases of the model in the beginning, you really want to focus on the deceleration. So the, you know, the um, eccentric component of that particular um, contraction. So slow everything down, make sure everything's working appropriately. They stay within the five kinetic chain checkpoints just for optimal functioning and firing, you know, and then the more that you do this, then your body's like, oh, okay. And then everything starts to work together. So um, again, these are just a few that we found. Again, you know, I, I don't necessarily, do, you know, do some of the exercises this way, um, but all to it the gives right. a visual. It gives a visual. But the other thing too, this, one of the ones that I love a lot when I have access to it is, uh, and again, if appropriate is, you know, the curve non-motorized treadmills when appropriate, the best way to activate the posterior oblique subsystem would be to be actually physically walking briskly or running. And the reason I like the non-motorized treadmills is because you really have to get into that hip extension. You really have to activate the glute. You're going to get that arm swing naturally. Not saying a motorized treadmill couldn't do that, but if you have access to the curved non-motorized treadmills, that's kind of like what you're working towards. And that's a phenomenal way to do an integration exercise uh, more in a potential power phase or for cardio for the posterior oblique subsystem. Agreed. <laughs> so Marty, to me, the key takeaways is that, you know, you really want to assess your client. We talk about that all the time. If you're not assessing, you're guessing. And so, you know, when we're talking about how to properly activate your, your um, posterior oblique system or subsystem, again, think about how you move, how you walk, look at the, the, the patterns. And with the assessments, they're going to tell you so many different things. And if compensations exist, even if they're minimal, you'll write it down, look at your solutions table, and that's going to help you determine what muscles are underactive and what muscles are overactive and how you should program accordingly. And then as Marty and I said, in, in integrating total movement, you know, patterns and exercises into your workouts is only going to transfer into positive things that they're doing on a daily basis when they're not with you. So if we're teaching really good movement patterns, hopefully that their brain's going to start to say, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do it correctly. So you're kind of changing, changing your, your programming in your head of what's right, what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, really think about, you know, doing all three planes of motion, as Marty and I said, when you're walking, when you're moving, when you're doing everything, you want to train in all three planes because we move in all three planes. And so always think about that. And then no matter what, always progress your clients to make it difficult however done successfully. So don't just try to do something that's so creative and, you know, look how different I am, because if it can't be executed correctly, then it's not going to be beneficial long-term. And who are you hurting? Is it about what people think of your training because you do cool things, or is it about what the results are going to be for your client because you've done something correctly and now they're stronger, they're more powerful, they feel better because that is what's the word of mouth is what's going to build your business 
and the success that you see within your client is also going to build your business. And that's way more important than how creative and cool you are in the gym using all the, the modalities and tools you have there. Just because you have them doesn't mean you should always use them. Yep. And if I could add one point to that is, you know, Wendy, you know me so well, like, you know, I love my martial arts background. And I like when I want to like listen to a really good book uh, on philosophies and things like that, I tend to gravitate to like uh, military type books. And there's a quote through the Navy SEALs. that makes so much sense. If you look at how much they practice the basics, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And what they're meaning by that is repeating perfect technique over and over and over and over will make you efficient. So it's not about getting people to jump and getting people to run. And yeah, there's a calorie expenditure, but there's a lot of creative ways you can do that. But if you go, you know, we're not going to move the slides back, but if you think about that slide, we show with all those exercises. Yes. Unfortunately, people now have what I call kind of like, you know, exercise OCD. They want something new every day. Okay. I'll, I'll work with you on that because I want people to be engaged, but I could have done all five of those exercises in five straight days, but I'm still hammering the posterior oblique subsystem. I'm not just throwing things out the window and doing things like that. So be consistent in your programming, find unique ways to always challenge them, have five or six or eight different exercises on the same level so they don't get bored. But that way you're constantly looking to improve their movement patterning. They don't even have to know why you're taking it from a renegade row to a single leg Romanian deadlift, but you're constantly driving that in. And then you're going to be shocked how quickly they progress with what we would say is basic. But to them, it's like, oh, my God, every day there's a new exercise. Mm -hmm. sure and I is. get that, too. And even if it's the same, like you said, the same movement pattern, but one day you're doing dumbbells and one day you're using a cable, it's going to place a different demand on all the subsystems somehow, some way. And so, you know, even though, let's say, you know, they did a single leg squat you know, to a row or like you said, a deadlift to a row or whatever it is that you're doing. And then you did a single leg squat to row on the cable. It's completely different in their mindset, even though it's the same movement patterns, just done either, you know, in a prone or supine or standing or whatever it is that you're doing position. Um, that movement pattern is still the same with just different demands on it. So that's why if you go back even more in our archives and we talk about the neural continuum and different ways to be create creative, all of those can carry over and all of them will play some role in all four of the subsystems. And so just have yep. fun with it. But again, make sure it makes sense. And if you want to really look at a subsystem that is very weak in a lot of people, the POS is, is definitely one of them. Up there. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. So I think we covered that. So Wendy, why don't you tell all these amazing people how to get a hold of you? Yes. If you have any questions or concerns or you guys want to talk, you know, to, like have us talk about something that you either have questions on or you want us to go into more detail about, we would love for you to let us know. And you can find me on email at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then our great producer, Eric, will bring mine up here. My Instagram is dr.martymiller72 and then email marty.miller at nasm.org. So as always, feel free to reach out to us. Just any comments you have or any ideas or topics you'd like us to cover because that one, you know, what matters the most to us is that we're covering topics that you guys really find enjoyable and that you feel that will make you an even better personal trainer. So Wendy, great job as always. Thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you next week, but thank you for all that are attended and we'll see you again next week.